are super excited you guys are here with us. It's a beautiful day. Like I said, perfect day for the food truck invasion going on across the street uh, today after the services. And so we are starting a new series today. And it is, uh, we've done this before a long time ago and we wanted to revisit this um, idea and this concept. And so I want to start by asking the question, have you ever eaten something that was bad? Okay, like, and, and maybe when you went to eat it, and I don't mean like bad, like it was like your mother-in-law's cooking. I mean like bad, like it had gone bad. And my mother-in-law's a great cook. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. So, uh, so, um, so a couple stories. So when I was in college, or actually graduated college, I got hired as a youth minister at a church. They hired a 21-year-old to be their youth minister. And I remember being like, are you sure? And they were like, yeah. So uh, we took this group of kids to this thing called CIY. Our, our kids are actually going to go there, our high schoolers, this summer. It's this great summer conference. Now, it's held on college campuses. And what's cool about it is they get to kind of experience a college campus, see what it's like, all these type of things. But the other thing that's really great about college, if you went, is like the mess hall or the food hall. And so one of the things that they have is that if you don't like what they're serving that day, they have like a cereal bar. And so there's cereal available 24-7. You can go get yourself a bowl of cereal, all this type of thing. So this is July at this point. And so we went into the cafeteria with my students. And I remember whatever they were serving that day for lunch, I just wasn't excited about And so I was like, well, I'm just going to go to the cereal bar and get some cereal. And so I go and I get my favorite cereal, a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and I go and get it. And I go and I grab a carton of milk and I pour the milk into the bowl of cereal. And so I'm sitting there, I'm talking to one of my students and we're talking and I'm going to put my spoon down in the bowl of cereal that now has the milk in it. And I remember having this thought as the spoon's about to enter my mouth and I'm looking at it, I remember being like, I don't remember there being marshmallows in Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Well, there weren't marshmallows in Cinnamon Toast Crunch. The milk had spoiled and actually curdled, and it was disgusting. And I remember putting that in my mouth and just the worst taste, I mean, ever. And, and, and so that was one of the first times. Now, here's what I picked up on that I never realized, because a lot of people were weird that used to do this. So once you've had spoiled milk, for the rest of your life, every time you open a carton of milk, what are you going to do? You're going to smell it, right? I just think people were weird. Like, why are you putting your nose up against this? But after doing it, I do it the same. The second one that I will always remember happened not too long ago. It was about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Me and Rusty were down in Guatemala with our partnership in El Raparo. And we've been down there for a couple of days. And uh, they had been hearing all these stories about like me being this great like cook and how I like to barbecue and make brisket and smoke pork and wings and anything. And, and so they were going to surprise us the last night, and they had went and bought some um, some steaks. And so here's what you have to know about steaks down there. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago in agricultural communities. Um, you can't just like go to the grocery and go to like the freezer section or the the produce section and get stuff. And so the way that they do beef down there, it's very rare. It's kind of expensive. And so um, like if you eat with them and the food's amazing, but like if you're eating chicken, more than likely that chicken was running around two hours before. Okay. So it's super fresh, but with beef, you can't do that because cows are large. So they have to slaughter them and they have to drain the blood and all that stuff. And then what they do because they don't have refrigeration is they'll just take the meat and they'll just hang it on hooks outside their doors. And so you'll just drive through these communities and see these markets, and there'll just be large slabs of meat just hanging. And you keep thinking, like, well, that can't be good, right? And so uh, we go. It's the last night. They're like, hey, we got a surprise. Uh, Jeremy, we hear how great of a cook you are. Um, We got some steaks that you're going to grill for us. And I'm like, oh, okay, sounds great. And so I go, and I open the bag of meat. 
And it just, I mean, it's just sour, like just sour smell. I mean, I could tell the meat had gone bad. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, what do we do? And like, we're talking kind of, you know, me and, and Rusty and Dave, and we're like, well, this probably cost them a lot of money, like more than they should have spent. And culturally, if I would have said, we're not going to eat that, that would not have been good. So I cooked the tar out of those steaks. I mean, they were basically beef jerky, right? I mean, it was just, I cooked them way longer than I should have. And I still like in our gut of gut, like we were all like, we're going to get sick. And we did, all of us, for like a week and a half after we got back, we're, we're just sick. And, and it was just like this feeling of like, it's the last time we went, uh, they did it again. And, uh, but, but we didn't get sick, so I don't know what happened. So anyway, um, and then a couple months ago, uh, I was uh, going to grab a piece of fruit. I got done with a run, and I was grabbing one of these. These are cuties, and my kids love cuties. We always have them. And I didn't know, you know, you peel these back, and then the fruit's underneath. And um, I peeled it back and didn't think anything about it. And I go, and I take a bite. And it was one of those, like, moments where, like, immediately, without even thinking, just spit it back out all over the kitchen. And what had happened is the cutie had gone bad. I didn't even know these went bad, right? I mean, I figured they did because they're fruit. And so I go to Jamie and I was like, hey, so like that was terrible. Like, when did you buy those? And she goes, I haven't bought those in like a couple months. And I was like, okay, right. So um, you will always remember if you, you do something. Now, the thing about what all those experiences is with the milk, I didn't know it was bad until I opened it. And if I'd taken the time to smell it, I would have known it was bad. The meat, I mean, it didn't look terrible, but it smelled terrible. And with the cutie, um, what's crazy is until I peeled back a layer, I didn't really know what I was working with. I didn't really know what was going on inside. And so you will always remember those experiences when you start to peel back the layers or you start to actually investigate and look into something, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Years ago, I was meeting with uh, my counselor And uh, I have a counselor, and so I do a lot of counseling with you guys, and people still think it's weird that you have to do counseling. Everybody needs counseling. Let me just go ahead and tell you that. You all need counseling. I can go ahead and tell you that. Um, And so uh, I meet with a counselor, um, and this counselor is one of my favorites I've ever had. He was actually one of my professors uh, when I was getting my degree. And uh, so we had kind of had this thing, and I'd always respected him. And I was going through some stuff, and so we had set up some times to meet, and I met with him for years. And this one particular time, uh, I was going through some kind of some stuff, and we're sitting there and we're talking and we're sharing and, you know, he's doing the counselor thing of kind of asking questions and listening and every once in a while he might say something. And in my mind, because I have a counseling degree too, like I noticed that the questions he's asking are starting to shift a little bit and they're starting to get a little deeper and a little bit more probing and I can kind of feel that he's kind of peeling back some layers. And we ended up getting into this like really in-depth conversation about something that I was dealing with and experiencing in life and, and he was just slowly kind of peeling back these layers of kind of my life and kind of this defense mechanism that we all put up um, to make people think that everything's okay. And it was just like this moment where he just slowly kind of did it because that's what good counselors can do. And all of a sudden, I'm talking about stuff that I had no intention uh, of talking about. And, and, and so um, I remember in our conversation, we get to this point in the conversation where I, I look at, at Dave and I'm like, I said, Dave, I said, here's the thing, man. I said, I know what you're doing. And I said, um, you know, but here, here's what I want to say. I said, I just wish that sometimes that God made it easier for us to know that he's working in our life. Like, I wish that it was just easier to know that we're doing the right thing, that we're making the right choices. And, and he paused for a second, and he, he looked at me, and he, super smart guy, and he says, um, he says, Jeremy, here, here's, here's where we're at. He said that everybody, you included, all of us, 
He says, whenever we talk about God working in our life, he says, everybody's looking for the big things, like the emotional things, like those moments where you feel like the earth is like shattering and all of these things. And he says, here's the thing. He says, what we see over and over again is, is that God works in the simple things and we just miss it. And it's these daily things that he works in. Now, we'll get to what he told me here in the next few minutes. And as far as our conversation that led to this, it's none of your business and you're never going to find out because it's called counseling. And so, uh, so, so let me ask you some questions as we kind of dive into this layer of kind of peeling some things back in our life. So here's some simple ones like, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing? See, we all put up this front that everything's good, I'm fine, and we're good and busy and we're busy and we're doing this. But like, if you ever just stop to ask the question like, how am I really doing? How are your relationships going? If you're married, how's your marriage going? What's your house like? Is it peaceful? Is it stressful? Is it chaotic? How are your finances? How's your health? How do you feel? Could you, if I asked you, could you name two victories that you've experienced this year? Like two moments where you felt like you were winning, like you were nailing it. And could you tell me three defeats? And isn't it always interesting that we're so quick to remember the defeats and very often we forget about the victories? And what is your plan for making more victories and less defeats? One of the questions that, that I think that I ask when I do it with, with people is, you know, there's obviously a spiritual element to all of this. And, and so we'll ask questions like, well, how's your spiritual life? And it's a weird question because the way that Jesus approaches life is if you would have went to Jesus and said, well, how's your spiritual life? He'd have been like, what? What are you talking about? Because see, for him, there was no spiritual life and then life. Like it was just all, to, it's just life. We are spiritual beings, and, and so this thing of trying to figure out who we are and how we fit in the world and what we do with all of this, like, like it's just, it's all connected. And so how's your life going, and are you where you want to be? Jesus, he gives us this really super simple formula for trying to figure things out as far as whether things are going good or bad in your life. And, and so uh, the context of, of this verse is he, he's talking about some of these religious leaders that are, are doing some things that manipulate some people and they're abusing some of their power and some of these things that religious people, I don't know if you know this, religious people were kind of famous for that, like abusing power and manipulating people. And, and so um, in Matthew chapter 12, he, he kind of gets this little discourse and he says this, he says, it's real simple to tell. He says, a tree is identified by its fruit. And that's right. Like we know that. Like a tree, you can look at a tree, I can't, but people that know this stuff can look at a tree and be like, oh, that's, that's an apple tree, that's a peach tree, that's a cherry tree. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. And so if a tree is healthy, it's going to produce fruit and the fruit will be good and you'll be able to, to live and sustain off of it. But if a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. Earlier, he uses the same kind of analogy of like trees and fruit and stuff. And he says this, he says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. And, and this Thursday, I had the privilege of, of, again, speaking to the graduating class of Bullet Central for Baccalaureate. And we were right here in this room. And, and I told him, I said, one of the things that, that you have to watch out for that they don't tell you is that there's a lot of people that will come into your life under this disguise of that they care about you and they want to see good for you, but really they don't. And they might hurt you and take advantage of you 
They might manipulate you. And Jesus, he says, you got to beware of these type of things that he says. So if you want to be able to tell whether someone's got good motives and things are good in their life, he goes on. He says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into a fire. And, and we know this. So if, if, if you're an orchard owner or, or you have this vineyard or whatever it is and you have these, these things that aren't producing, then you, would, you don't keep going. Like you chop it down, you start over. He says, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. One of the things that took a long time to learn, 41 years old, so I finally figured it out. Um, it's not what you say. And it's not what you wear or where you attend that matters. It's all about what you do. Actions are always greater than words. And so Jesus, he's saying this. He says you can identify kind of people by their actions. And so you can identify whether someone's doing good or bad or whether things are healthy or not healthy in their life just by their actions. And, And what are they doing and how are they treating people and what are they saying, you know, what are these things? So you can tell by our fruit. So why fruit? Well, I think the analogy of fruit works in a lot of different ways. First of all, for the pilled series, because sometimes you have to pill something before you can see what you're working with. But second of all, the idea of, of fruit is interesting. So in Christianity, so the belief in, in God and in spiritual life and spiritual growth, um, here's what you have to know about Christian growth and becoming this person that we all think we can become. Um, it's slow and it's gradual. It doesn't happen overnight. And I love the tree analogy because tree growth is slow. So, so years ago, in me and my wife's first house, we had these two fruit trees. We had a peach tree and an apple tree that someone had planted in our backyard. And um, the peach tree, the first couple of years we lived there, like, I mean, I was super excited when I found out we had a peach tree. Like, peaches are probably one of my favorite fruits, and peach cobbler is one of my favorite desserts. And I was like, man, we're going to, I'm like President of the United States, millions of peaches. I'm like singing it, you know, like, this is going to be amazing. Some of you will get that later. And so, uh, or you can look it up on, on uh Apple Music. So, um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, this could be great. And for the first two years, that stupid tree did not produce a single peach. And what I found out was a couple of things. Number one, <laughs> the environment in Kentucky isn't really conducive, all right, to peach trees. That's why they're grown in the South. Uh, second thing was that the tree was young. It hadn't matured yet. And so it was like going to be this slow process of this tree being able to produce this fruit. Which leads to the second thing is, is that sometimes in order, not only is a slow process, but it sometimes it takes some care and some effort. And so one of the things I found out about these fruit trees as we were trying to take care of them and get some fruit from them um, is that you actually have to put in some effort. Didn't know that. And so I just thought fruit tree, all of a sudden I have all this fruit. So what I found out and what I learned was that sometimes you have to like prune kind of the branches. Uh, it helps that if you put some herbicides or something on it to keep the bugs away um, because they'll come in and eat the thing. And, and, and so all of this stuff, it, it takes some time. It takes some effort. And, and I remember that, that, you know, when I learned that, and, and the thing that was so frustrating was these, these trees after a couple of years that like I could see the apples start to form and then like they would get like this big and they'd fall off and they'd fall on the ground and I'd run over them with the mower and the wasps and the hornets and the bees would come. And every time I mowed the grass, it was like, I guess I'm going to get stung today. And so uh, it was this horrible thing and it would produce like applesauce in our yard because it was just this thing. But then when I started putting in some effort 
and actually like listening and doing some YouTube videos and talking to some people, like all of a sudden we started to take care of these things and we started to put some effort and some energy into these things. And there was this one year where I was so good and we got apples and we got peaches because I was willing to put in the effort and the energy to do it. And it was amazing. And then I was like, this is a lot of work. And so I stopped and the next year it went back to nothing. All right. But, but here's the thing I learned is sometimes it takes some effort. And then the third thing I learned, because that year that I actually was patient with this process and willing to put in the effort to actually take care of these trees, what I learned is that, that this fruit would come from this tree if I was willing to do it, because that's what the tree was designed to do. The tree is designed to produce fruit. And so if it's a good tree and it's taken care of, it's going to produce fruit. It's inevitable. So there's this book... Uh, Galatians, and it's actually a letter that Paul wrote to the early church, and, and, and this famous kind of section about the same analogy, this kind of idea of fruit. And, and so in this, he, he's talking about, like, to Christians, he's saying, like, so, you know, if you're willing to put in the work and you're willing to be patient with the thing, um, but they're really asking the same question that I was asking was, how do we know if God is working in our life? And again, you have to put like the big things over here. I mean, we want these like miraculous stories that we see in the Bible. And what you have to know, and I've told you guys before, they're, they don't, they're not common. That's why somebody wrote them down and put them in a book. Because it wasn't like happening every day, you know. It's like these anomalies. It's like these crazy things that happen. But, but what we see over and over again is it, it's like God is working in the basic and the routine and, and the daily and so a little background work for this letter is these people, they're kind of trying to figure out what their life looks like, and they've, they've grown up with one idea and understanding of what it means to follow God, and, and they've heard all of these stories from the Old Testament and all these things about these big things that God does. And, and so Paul kind of just breaks it down for them real simply, and he's going to say, okay, so here's what you have to do. You, you have to let the Spirit of God kind of guide your life. And he says this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And so here's the part if you don't like the sinful talk and all that, but, but here's the part you'll relate to. Ready? These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Do you ever feel like, in, okay, like this is, I know this is true because Bugs Bunny did it. Remember like the Bugs Bunny cartoons and like he's trying to make a decision and like the little angel pops up and the little devil pops up. You remember these things? And they're like, this is all of us. Like when it comes to life choices and all life is, is a series of choices that we make is there's always seems to be like these forces fighting within us. And, and so which force are you going to listen to? Which force are you going to be allowed to lead your life? So Paul, he, he's going to kind of paint this picture of these two different kind of ideas of lives, of a life that we can chase after. And, and so the first one is the ones of the flesh, we would say. And so these are like the sinful desires. This is like the, the devil bunny. This is like or the devil little thing. This is, these are these things. Now, I'm using a, a different translation than I normally use. This is from the message. And the message is a paraphrase of the Bible that someone's used. I don't use it a lot, but I love the language that's here because it modernizes it. Because some of you, if I use some of this biblical language, you'd be like, I don't know what that's talking about. But, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to hear this list of these things that Paul says are the things that work against God working in our life and just see if you relate to any of them. And so he says this. 
It is obviously obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. It starts off by saying loveless, cheap sex. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this about sex. And then we'll, I don't know if I'm supposed to say sex in church, but it's in the Bible. So we're going to say it. And so um, here's what I'll say about that. And, and I know that for some of us, we're like, nobody thinks like that anymore, Jeremy. Just, you know, go back to the, you know. And, and so here's what I'll say for young adults, adults, all of us in general. So the, the great question you can ask about sex outside of God's design for us, okay, is simply this. And it's the best question you can ask. It's not whether it's right or wrong or whether that's old way of thinking or new. It doesn't, none of that matters. <clears throat> the sex outside the guidelines that God has given us, if you do it the way you want to do it and ignore what God said, here's the question. Does it make your life better or does it make it more complicated? Because every single time it makes it more complicated, doesn't it? Because some of us see there's people in this room that, like, if we were to pass them at Kroger's today, it'd be all kind of awkward, wouldn't it? And we get into these, like, states where we, like, think that sex and love are the same thing, and they're not at all. And so we think this way, and then we find out another way, and so it complicates our lives. So, move beyond that. So here's the second one. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Anybody ever done that? You're just like, I don't know what's going to make me happy, so I'm just going to grab all this stuff and just consume and consume and consume and hope something makes me happy. How about trinket gods? See, whether you worship God, we all worship gods. There's all things in our lives. There's all altars we all bow down to, right? Some of it, it's success. Some of it, it's being cool. Some of it's perfection, beauty, whatever it is. We all have gods that we worship in our life. How about this magic show religion? I'm not going to put any effort into it. I'm not going to do anything. I just expect God just to fix it all, right? And we treat God like a genie sometimes, like he's just going to come in and just paranoid loneliness. You feel like you're by yourself. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or to be loved. Divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, and ugly parodies of community. And so Paul says, these are the things that separate us. These are the things that divide us. These are the things that make us so uncontent in life. And let me go ahead and tell you, after doing 20 years of counseling with people, that list, that's everything. That's what we deal with. That's what we struggle with. That's what causes the chaos, the tensions, the fights in our lives with ourselves and with other people. So my brilliant counselor He's sitting there and he's saying, Jeremy, he says, here's the problem. He says that, that you're alert looking for God to do these amazing things. And, and, and I had, I'd gotten to a place where the church was starting to pick up some steam and we just moved into this building. And, and so here's what, what I'd kind of equated it to was that if God's working in my life, there's going to be all this success. And there's going to be all this kind of fanfare. And it's going to be like this, like, you know, like every day I feel like the Red Sea's parting. And every day I feel like I'm, you know, that's what we want. And he said, no, he said, Jeremy, he said, here's the problem. See, the way God works is that God works in the ordinary, the daily. And, and he says, so if you want to know if God is working in your life, he says, there's this great list that he gives you that you can kind of check yourself up against to see. 
And I was like, okay, Dave, well, what is it? Since you're so smart all of a sudden. You know, I didn't say that to him. I was thinking it. And he goes, well, it's in Galatians chapter 5. And I'm like, don't you do that. When we were kids, we used to collect these little baseball cards they gave us at church because church is always trying to be relevant. And so uh, they would give us these Fruits of the Spirit baseball cards, and we would like pass them and trade them. And then every once in a while, there was a Jesus in the pack. And we're like, oh, we all want the Jesus card, you know. So uh, it was like getting like a King Griffey Jr. rookie card. So um, here's what it says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So this is how you know if God is working in your life. Because he'll produce this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what he says is he says that if you want to know if God's working in your life, then your life, and let's leave that slide up there for a second, your life will display these things. And I'm like, yeah, but I want the Red Sea to split. Like, that's what I want. I don't want to have to be patient, right? Now, what's interesting, too, is that if you notice in the text, and this is fascinating, and I never noticed this still a couple years ago. So my whole life, I've referred to these as the fruits of the Spirit. It's almost like it's you can pick and choose. Like, you know, the love thing, I get it's important, and I do want some peace in my life, and I want to be like someone that's faithful, but the patience and the self-control, like, I don't like that fruit. And it's like a fruit salad. You just put in what you want. Um, but what's interesting in the text, and even in the original language, he doesn't say fruits, he says the fruit as if it's all one thing, like it's singular, like, like this is all, this is, it, it's all of it. It's not just you can pick and choose. Tim Keller, one of my favorite uh, writers, authors, speakers, passed away this week. Um, he, he says this, he says, it is not about traits or characteristics. It is about a change much deeper than that. Think about an apple tree. Do the apples on the tree make it alive? No. If you tied apples onto a dead tree's branches, that wouldn't make it alive. The apples don't give life. They are a sign that the tree is alive, just like these fruits are a sign that God is working in our life. But the life produces the fruit, not the other way around. It is worth looking closely at each aspect of the singular fruit of the Spirit. Okay? And so here's where we're at, because we're almost done. Um, all summer long, we're going to take these fruits of the Spirit, and we're going to slowly peel back our lives and take a look at each one of these. And we're going to see how God is working in our life. So the first one is love. And uh, if you notice the list, it's love. Now, um, love is the very first word that is spoken, and it's the last word that will be spoken. When John's trying to describe God, he just simply says, God is love. Jesus says, the way the world will know you is not by how many Bible verses you can quote, not how holy or put together you appear, not by which side of the aisle you choose to vote or stand behind. He says, the way the world will know you is how you love. And I think that if we're honest, we've lost a little bit of that. The second one that, that he brings up is the word joy. Now, joy is, is this like, kind of like belief of the heart. And, and so we've kind of taken the word joy and equate it with happiness. And that's not what it is at all. Because see, happiness is based on seasonal things. And so like if I'm having a good season and things are going well, then I'm happy and I'm happy and I'm happy. And so the author would challenge us, well, and the Bible would challenge us, but, but what happens when times get tough? Can you still have joy? And some of us know that that's possible. See, happiness can come and go, but joy can abide because our hope doesn't change even though we're going through this stuff. 
And it's fascinating, too, because as you study these, they, they build upon each other. So, so I understand God's love for me, and I love people. And so because I see the world differently through the lens of love, now all of a sudden I'm able to have some joy in my life in other areas where other people couldn't. And so if I have joy in my life where my hope doesn't change, all of a sudden now I'm able to have peace. The fruit of peace with God Peace that, that your life is actually blessed. Peace that, that God gives us wisdom that surpasses all understanding. See, the idea of peace is that you can have peace in your hearts because you know that God is all powerful and everything is under his control, even when troubles arise. I said this week that Tim Keller passed and I made this Facebook post and he, he's been so influential to me and, and just the words that he's spoken. Uh, but one of his, his last interviews, he, he said this about, about this whole thing. He said, if Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, then everything is going to be all right. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're afraid of, everything will actually be okay. And that's peace. And, and see, when you learn to have peace in your life, then all of a sudden now um, you, you learn that you can have a little bit more patience in your life. Patience, by the way, we're going to talk about on Father's Day because I figured that would be good. And so... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the fruit of patience is the ability to, to have patience in spite of what's going on. That every encounter with humankind since the beginning of Genesis, God has showed patience to us. And so who are we not to offer patience to the people around us? And then he goes, and, you know, if, we, if you learn to be patient with people, now all of a sudden you can learn to be kind Kindness is this really unique thing because kindness very rarely costs you anything but can change a person's day and mindset like that. And so if you're doing kind things, you're also doing good things. And so goodness is this fruit that, you know, goodness is this thing that gets lost in the mix because here's what I think goodness is. And I think we'll talk about this. Goodness is doing the right thing because it's the right thing. And it's difficult because sometimes you have to do the right thing regardless of what everybody else around you thinks. And in our world, it's difficult because goodness doesn't happen unless it gets posted or a bunch of people like talk about it. But sometimes goodness is just about doing the right thing. And if you're doing the right thing at all times, then you'll learn to be someone that's considered faithful. Faithfulness is this fruit about this idea that you're reliable, that other people can count on you. Because see, you're going to be the same person here as you are here. You're going to have different masks, different faces. You're just you. Once you get comfortable in your own skin and you learn to be faithful in life, then you can also learn to be gentle. And that's a word we don't like, but gentleness is all about just not trying to force your own way. And see, what I've learned is people that are comfortable in their own skin and comfortable with who they are in the world, they're also learned to be a little bit more gentle with things. And then gentleness, might as well wrap it up with self-control. Self-control is one of those things that we all struggle with too, isn't it? We, we talked about this before, that, that, that we have appetites for things, and not just food, but appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Like, you, you might put something in your life and think that it's going to satisfy you, but it doesn't. And, and so self-control is all about this idea of learning to ask the wise questions about what things should and shouldn't be in our life, and, and learning to understand what things are going to help us and what things are going to hurt us. Take self-control to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and live by love for others. It takes this idea of joy to be able to have the experiences that all of us will face and still be able to hang our heads up high. 
So all of this is stuff we have to peel back the layers and see how we're doing. Now, here's what I want to say. Um, When we go through this list, and I'm giving you, this is all introduction, by the way, so just so you know. Um, When you're going through this list, it's going to be painful. But see, here's the reality is sometimes when you peel back the layers, it's painful. But at least you know what you're working with. In fact, it feels a lot like discipline. I love this verse that, that the writer of Hebrews gives us about discipline in our life and working through these hard things. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Right? You ever, you ever been going through something that you know you need to do and be like, this is awesome. Salads actually do taste great. You're like, no. You're just like, what? I like ribs. And so, um, you know, people always like, anyway, my brain. All right, so here we go. Uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful at the time. Right? Whenever you're going through something and you're having discipline in your life, when you're having to come up with a regimen or you're having to do these things or implement new things in your life, it can be painful at times. Later on, however, it produces a harvest. Because here's what every single one of us know about these disciplines we put into our life. It's worth it in the end. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so my hope is that over the next eight weeks, nine weeks, that we will be willing to take a look at ourselves, to be willing to peel back the layers so that we can all see the evidence of God working in our life, the hope that comes from him working in our life. And we can be people becoming more and more like him and allowing his spirit to work through us and with us. So let's pray.